0: Welcome in to OutKick the Show. I am your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays wherever you may be across this great country. A lot of stories. I told you we would go right into the NFL uh, today because we had so many week one NFL games to react to. Let me just say this. The college football gambling picks are up. They are hopefully going to be spectacular. There are 10 of them. I will discuss all of those games tomorrow as we get ready for, I always think of Wednesday as the official start of the next week, um, and Monday and Tuesday, much of that is a discussion surrounding uh, everything uh, everything there. But, of course, the biggest news out there is Aaron Rodgers te- tearing his Achilles tendon and being out for the season for plays is how long Aaron Rodgers' tenure this season with the New York Jets actually lasted. And as far as injuries go, I think this is as debilitating of an injury for a player on a new team as I can remember ever seeing. All of the excitement that was out there surrounding Aaron Rodgers, how would he do with the Jets? What would happen in the AFC East? How well would he play outside of Green Bay? And on four plays, uh, that's all we're going to see this year. He tears his Achilles tendon. A couple of thoughts on this uh, in general. One, devastating for the Jets. Cursed franchise in many ways the Jets have been. To have this player, this quality of player, the amount of time and energy and effort that went into bringing Aaron Rodgers to the Jets to have this happen this quickly. It's not like they got four games or uh, or 14 games or something where in the middle of the season you have an injury. Four plays? Uh, it's really just incredibly difficult to think about. Uh, two, I mean, I think you have to legitimately ask coming off of an Achilles tendon tear, And now that he will be 40 years old, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do going forward? Uh, Is this the end? I I don't know. I hope it's not. You hate to see somebody go out with an injury like this. It's not going to be easy to come back from. There obviously will be salary cap complexities associated with it. Um, To me, this is an incredibly difficult situation for the Jets to find themselves in as they now go back to the Zach Wilson experience. And that certainly was not a very good experience. Uh, And then, you know, part of me asking, and maybe this is a question you guys can answer. Should I ridicule Keith Olbermann or is it the case now that Keith Olbermann is clearly mentally unstable And it's almost like you're trying to argue with a crazy person. Um, I I don't know the answer officially. I can't imagine that there's anybody who is still, at this point, a Keith Olbermann fan. But, I mean, this is what Olbermann put out in the last couple of uh, hours. The New York Jets tweeted, Not the way any of us wanted it to go, but we know the commitment you've made to this team will continue to impact us moving forward. Get well soon, Aaron Rodgers. Not the way any of us wanted it to go. Like if you are a sports fan, you do not root for players to have season-ending injuries. You don't root for people to be physically harmed while being involved in playing a sport. That's just something that is, you know, karmically indefensible. And I think most all sports fans get that. Uh, Keith Olbermann responded to the Jets tweet, again, not the way any of us wanted it to go, and said, define any. And look, I I, I feel bad because Keith Olbermann is old. He's never been married. He has no family. He lives in an apartment overlooking uh, Central Park. His brain is clearly broken. But I just think it's a cautionary tale. Uh, because I've said this before, but if you told me in the 1990s that Keith Oberman would ever know my name, I would have been ecstatic. You told me uh, when I was sitting eating my cereal, getting ready to go to school. And he's a sports guy. To be rooting for Aaron Rodgers to be seriously injured because you don't like his politics, I I just I, I don't think it's it's something that is defensible in any way. I mean, look, there are all sorts of people out there who have different political opinions than me. I don't root for them to be severely injured. And I don't gloat if they are severely injured. Um, And so I just, I I look at this and I think, how has Keith Olbermann's brain ended up so broken? Um, And to what extent has he totally lost his way? I mean, I, I legitimately think the guy... Needs mental health help, and I I I don't even know what to say. So a part of me is like, should I even interact with them anymore? Because there are some people that I think are uh, are say d- dumb things. Like I think Jamel Hill and Bamani Jones and Max Kellerman and uh, and sometimes Dan Levitard say legitimately dumb things. Like I'll see an argument they make, and I'm like, okay, that's not a very good argument. That's dumb but I don't think that there's malice and I don't think that their brains are so broken that they are mentally unstable. Like I saw Jamel Hill uh, tweet, Oh, the jets should go sign Colin Kaepernick. Like that's crazy. In my opinion, uh, Colin Kaepernick hasn't played in the league for whatever it is, five, six years. He wasn't very good at the end of his tenure. He got benched for Blaine Gabbard. Um, like, so the idea that Colin Kaepernick's going to suddenly come in in the middle of the season and play at a high level for the New York Jets, I think is crazy. But I also understand that Jamel Hill might actually believe that Colin Kaepernick makes sense. And also it goes to her whole worldview where she's painted herself into this far, tiny little corner of left wing orthodoxy, but. Uh, you know, Keith Olbermann's coming out and saying to Riley Gaines, hey, you suck. That's why you lost to a six foot four guy swimming against you. No. Like, I don't even think Keith Olbermann believes that. The fact that he's rooting for people to tear their Achilles tendon because he doesn't like the fact that Aaron Rodgers didn't get the COVID shot. I, I don't know all of Aaron Rodgers' political opinions. I don't know him well. I don't know him really at all. I don't think we've ever met face-to-face. Uh, I don't, I'm sure there are lots of political opinions that Aaron Rodgers would have that I would disagree with. And there are all sorts of things that lots of people out there would say uh, politically that I disagree with. I wouldn't want him wish him ill health. Like, I don't want Jamel Hill to, like, trip and fall down the stairs and break an arm because she's making dumb arguments about Colin Kaepernick. And I don't want Dan Lebetard to have a heart attack uh, because we disagree on... Uh, whether you know BLM should be on a helmet or not, right? Like I, I don't know. Maybe 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 people want me to die all the time. I just I don't have a high level of anger in my body. There are lots of things I disagree with, and I get fired up on this show making arguments, but I don't bear people ill will, and and I do think that this is maybe what being obsessed with social media can do, and I, I think. By and large, look, I'm on the radio for three hours every day. I do this. I do a lot of Fox News. Social media is a kind of a small part of my day-to-day existence now. Um, it's important in terms of helping to get my opinions out and sharing what's going on and, and all those things. I mean, I certainly I shared a lot of details with the book. But it's like a small part of my overall life now. In fact, I was at a uh, seventh grade school uh, school visit where you go around and meet all your kids' teachers when the Aaron Rodgers injury happened. I wasn't even able to be watching it live. My phone just blew up with uh, all of the reaction to it. I didn't see it till 45 minutes after it happened because I was doing that school uh, event. And as soon as I finish this show, I'm going to go hop in my car and I'm going to drive. My seventh grader has a seventh grade football game. And I'm going to be there for several hours. And then I think I'm going to be on uh, with uh, Jesse Waters. At least I'm scheduled to be tonight. Uh, But for the next several hours, I'm going to be just a dad going to a football game. Um, And I just think the real world is happening outside of your phones. And I would say this to everybody out there. Few people have profited better off of social media existing than me. It's been wildly helpful for OutKick for advancing my career. But also, it's not real. And if you get sucked into what people are saying all day long, every day on uh, Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, and you take it so seriously that you are rooting for somebody to tear their Achilles tendon because they didn't get the COVID shot, which is what Keith Olbermann tweeted last night, and then he tweets what I just read to you about the Jets today, your brain's broken. And honestly, I feel sorry for you. Um, and uh, and that's really kind of everything that I have uh, to say on that issue. All right, let's talk about something that is not serious in the grand scheme of things. Did you guys see the story about the woman who is running to be a member of the Virginia House that evidently was doing sex videos on a website called Chatterbait? and it was a part of the hot wife experience, and she's now claiming that she is a victim. This is like, we talked about this on Clay and Buck, but this story is just absolutely crazy to me, all right? This is, uh, this woman, I think is 40 years old, she's a mom, and I'm going to be honest with you. I am not familiar with the mechanics by which a website called chatterbait.com works. But based on research, I mean this honestly, based on the articles that I have read, I can honestly tell you I've never been on chatterbait.com. Uh, uh, but, and if you have, I'm not judging you. Maybe chatterbait.com is like the Gutenberg Bible of uh, of uh, to 21st century internet porn, and I'm missing out. And as a result, I'm not going to understand this story as well as I otherwise would, okay? Maybe it's a absolute must-see uh, a visitor visit on the website uh, on the information superhighway. I don't understand how she's a victim here. If you are 40 years old and you are allegedly making sex tapes with your husband and you are trying to sell them to people on the website as a part of the hot wife experience. And then you decide to run for political office And this just happened, right? Like if she was 18 years old and she worked as a stripper and now she's 40 and she's a mom and she's like 20 years ago, like I would be like, okay, like whatever. I I don't particularly care. I don't necessarily judge people by what their professions were in the past. But if your most recent job uh, or one of your most recent jobs was that you had sex for money on camera, and then you decide to run for political office, I do think that's relevant. And they just made a big deal about Glenn Youngkin's job. And he worked at the Carlisle Group, you know, sort of an investment bank, private equity, helping to raise money, and people said, oh, that's an unacceptable job to have. We shouldn't have a guy like that as governor. If I ran for political office in Tennessee... People would say, oh, that's Clay Travis. He ran the website OutKick. Oh, he was on the radio. He's a radio show host. He was on television talking about sports. He's totally unqualified to be whatever, governor, senator, whatever office I was running for. I'd get attacked based on my job. It's commonplace. I think it's pretty relevant if you were making sex tapes on chatterbait.com. Now, is it disqualifying? I don't know. I mean, I just said this on the show. If I had to choose between John Fetterman who can't speak and just had a stroke and is nearly dead or a woman who made sex tapes with her husband and I only had those two people to choose between, I'd pick the woman who made sex tapes. At least she's healthy enough to engage in strenuous physical activity. But I think it's super relevant and I don't think you're a victim. If you voluntarily choose to do something and you voluntarily choose to distribute it to any members of the public for money, I don't think you can be upset when that goes public. Now, if this had been a private sex tape and somebody stole it, like the Pamela uh, Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee tape back in the day, or if this tape had been, if this sex act had been recorded between the husband and the wife and somehow it had accidentally got shared, I would say, yeah, that feels unfair to me. Like, that's private life, shouldn't be shared, that feels really uh, deeply uh, 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 invasion of privacy-esque. I would be like, okay, yeah, I don't think that should be a factor in whether or not you support someone. But if you choose to sell sex on the internet, And if it comes out that you sold sex on the internet, I think that's relevant. Now, I'm not saying I would determine whether or not I voted for someone based on whether the candidate was a former sex worker or not, but I think I would factor it in. And I just said I would vote for her over John Fetterman because, again, at least she's physically able to do the job, physically able to do a lot of jobs, evidently. But the fact that you're a victim, I mean, and, and by the way, if you're out there and you're like, this is crazy, yeah, this could also, this race could decide whether Glenn Youngkin decides to go run for president or not. And I don't know how you expect that this wouldn't come out. And I do think, <laughs> I do think this is funny. Who was the guy, and you know it was a guy, who saw this video, and said, hey, this looks like the girl who's running for the House of Delegates in Virginia. That's a really specific degree of knowledge on both sides, right? I don't imagine that there's a lot of people who are incredibly plugged in on Virginia House of Delegates candidates who also are active on chatterbait.com. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong and like, there is like basically the Venn diagram overlaps. If you are a chatterbait.com guy, maybe you know everything about the Virginia House of Delegates. Seems to me like that's a very unique subset of knowledge that wouldn't have a huge overlapping concentric circle uh, on the Venn diagram. And also, even if I saw that, you would have to be an expert in House of Delegate candidates to be confident enough to think, oh, that's not one of the other million women that are having sex on the internet. By the way, how many women are having sex on the internet? A lot with OnlyFans. That is the specific woman who's trying to get elected in a competitive district in the House of Delegates. So I don't know where all this is going to go, but it's crazy. And I know that when this clip goes up, a ton of you are going to be doing a lot of research. It's like that meme where the guy's like, that's disgusting. Where do I find this? Um, so I would imagine that that is going to be uh, the reaction from a lot of you. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. All right, let's go back. Uh, Let me make sure on the news here. Okay, Uh, let's go back to the news on the NFL. I said I would talk about the NFL. My big takeaway uh, from the NFL Week 1, and I'm going to run through all the games that happened and give you a little bit of a take in every single one, is – I watched Trevor Lawrence get hit as he was throwing against the Colts, and it was clearly, in my opinion, an incomplete pass, and they called it a touchdown. And actually the Jags player picked it up, and they knocked it out of his hand, and then the Colts ran it back. And then I watched the same play uh, in the Saints and uh, against the Titans, and it was a call that was totally the opposite. The NFL has no idea what is and what is not a, uh, a complete pass and what is a, an incomplete pass and what is a fumble. I mean, there, there's just no way to justify these. All right, uh, Ravens, Lamar Jackson back, long-term contract. Uh, Dobbins is hurt now, out for the season again, uh, but the Texans not going to be very good. Uh, I did think uh, that for his first ever game, that you could be somewhat pleased with C.J. Stroud. They had him throw the ball 44 times. Uh, He didn't throw any interceptions. Uh, That's pretty good for your first game. I think you could be a little bit optimistic if you're a Texans fan. I don't know what happened with, uh, with Joe Burrow. He gets the biggest contract in the history of the NFL. Then he goes out and puts up one of the worst performances of his career. I think, in fact, the worst. 14 of 31 for 82 yards. Just absolutely atrocious. The Browns went out. Congrats to Browns fans. 24-3, won a big divisional round game. Bucks took down the Vikings. This is not good for my Super Bowl pick. Of course, the Vikings didn't start very strong, I think, last year, too. Um, But this shouldn't happen. And if you go into the the team stats, the Vikings put up way more yards. uh, But they were unable to win because they had three turnovers. And uh, the Vikings completely gave that game away against the Bucks, Titans. I, I I watched the whole Titans Saints game, and the Titans end up losing sixteen to fifteen. I am of the opinion. I hate to be here. I hate to be in this position. Ryan Tannehill done. Three interceptions. Misses two easy touchdown throws. Just not a good quarterback. But I also think that he's better than Malik Willis or Will Levis. And so I'm in a unique spot where, like, my kids have birthdays this weekend, two of the youngest. I'm going to have a 9-year-old and a 13-year-old. My two youngest are about to be. And I don't even want to go watch the Titans play against the Chargers. Like, I don't want to sound like an old man. I'm going to do it because they want to go for their birthday. I've got season tickets. I don't even want to get in my car drive all the way downtown, park, walk in. I'd rather watch the red zone on television and flip it back and forth to the Titans game because I just have zero optimism that the Titans are going to go anywhere. And I don't even have, like sometimes when you're like, okay, we've got an aging quarterback, but let's see whether the young guy is going to be any good. I think Patrick Willis and, uh, sorry, I think that Malik Willis and Will Levis are also going to be bad. So it's like, I feel like there's nothing to be excited about with the Titans, uh, and then on the, the the Saints side, I just I, I like Derek Carr. If your goal is to have the 15th best quarterback in the NFL, I haven't seen anything that suggests to me that he's ever going to be a difference maker. Um, again, I, I think Derek Carr is a slightly younger version of Ryan Tannehill, where you can be around the 10th to 15th best quarterback, depending on how things go. But that's your ceiling. Falcons, Arthur Smith's got the Falcons on uh, the comeback trail. Uh, Solid win for them over the Panthers. I believe Bryce Young is going to be really good. I think that eventually he's going to evolve. The challenge, obviously, is is he going to be able to see? But in the meantime, it seems like the Falcons are going to continue to develop Desmond Ritter. And that NFC South is wide open. Jags uh, get the win over the Colts. Look, Trevor Lawrence is rapidly ascending the ranks of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, And I know he can still throw a lot of interceptions. Uh, I know Anthony Richardson, again, these young guys starting in week one, they threw a lot of passes, 37 attempts. Uh, I I thought he did okay. Uh, But I think that the AFC South, as long as Trevor Lawrence stays healthy, The Jags are going to be really good for some time to come, and it remains to be seen whether C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson are going to be any good. But if you're a Titans fan like I am, you know Ryan Tannehill's not very good. Uh, 49ers, maybe the most impressive win uh, of the week. By the way, did not have a good gambling week. Went into Pittsburgh and absolutely dominated. I expected for Kenny Pickett to be better than he has been. Brock Purdy continues to win. Uh, Kenny Pickett, 46 attempts, not what you want. Two picks, played poorly. Uh, 49ers maybe the most impressive team in the NFC in Week 1, not named the Dallas Cowboys. Commanders get the win over the Cardinals. Feels like the Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams, maybe. Also Drake May, depending on how exactly that situation plays itself out. Uh, Raiders get the win over the Broncos. The Russell Wilson experiment continues to be an unmitigated disaster, uh, even though uh, Russell Wilson looked a little bit better. Um, 27 pass attempts for only 177 yards, not getting the ball down the field. Eagles get up big, hang on against the Patriots. I don't believe in Mac Jones. I think the Patriots are basically uh, done as long as he is there. Uh, Remember when we used to argue over whether or not Bill Belichick or Tom Brady was the most important part of the Patriots dynasty? That ship has sailed. Uh, Packers, I was surprised by how well they played and dominated against the Bears. Rams get an easy win against the Seahawks and the Cowboys completely and totally dominate. We'll say Jets get the win. Uh credit to them for hanging uh tough. Maybe basically the equivalent of the Super Bowl for Jets fans now that Zach Wilson is back. The walk-off punt return touchdown was an incredibly entertaining uh game, but I do not think that the Jets have very much to be excited about. Um All right, uh, a couple of other things. Um, Biden impeachment inquiry opens. I think this is the right call because there is ample evidence, credible under oath evidence that Joe Biden has engaged in criminal behavior. Talk about this some more tomorrow. But to me, if you look at Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump, the last three uh, presidents to really find themselves squarely in the midst of impeachment-related inquiries, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that Biden, the allegations against Biden, are far more criminally serious, credibly under oath allegations against Biden, far more serious than what has been alleged uh, against either three of those guys. I saw this story, um, and I actually just felt bad. Uh, So Nike evidently opened Their flagship store, I think this was the first Nike store ever in 1984 in Portland. Nike is from Beaverton, Oregon, which is not far from Portland. And they opened this store in 1984 in Portland. Things have gotten so bad in Portland that Nike has decided, due to theft, looting, general lawlessness, that they're going to have to shut down their store in Portland. It's been open for nearly 40 years. Again, this opened in 1984. I believe it was the first ever Nike store effectively to open. And things have gotten so bad in Portland that they're now having to close. This is what left-wing governance leads to. Portland's got a Democrat mayor. Portland's got uh, a—the state of Oregon has got a Democrat governor. The Republican Party, by and large, is actually totally— without power, by and large, in the state of Oregon, and certainly in Portland, and yet this is what the lawlessness leads to. It's unfortunate. All these people are going to lose their jobs, and a flagship, historic in some ways, store is now going to have to close. I I just think it's awful. Pac-12 lawsuit. I mentioned this yesterday and then I'm going to talk about the Fifth Circuit, and then I'm going to go head out and go watch my seventh-grader's football game. This Pac-12 lawsuit is worth paying attention to, and I'm going to synopsize it here for all of you out there that are college football or college sports fans in general. So everybody has left the Pac-12 except for Oregon State and Washington State. When USC and UCLA announced they were leaving for the Big Ten, they immediately lost their vote inside of the Pac-12. And now that everybody else is leaving, including Stanford and Cal, most uh, recently that are headed for the ACC, and then obviously you've got Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado all headed to the Big 12, and obviously Washington and Oregon to the Big Ten, and we already mentioned USC and UCLA headed to the Big Ten. You only have two schools left, Oregon State, and Washington State. And what those schools recognized is there was going to be a vote to end effectively the Pac-12 because the other schools that are leaving, the eight that are leaving, are going to try to avoid having to pay any penalties by effectively voting to end the existence of the Pac-12. And Oregon State and Washington State said, wait a minute, We're still members in good standing of the Pac-12, and just like we set the precedent of kicking USC and UCLA out, we're not going to allow you to destroy the existence of the Pac-12 on your way out of the conference. So you other eight remaining schools are not going to get a free pass here. You're not going to get the opportunity to disband the Pac-12 and leave us with nothing. This is a really fascinating case because what Oregon state and uh and Washington state are trying to do is they are trying to get and they already got their uh TRO, I mean to keep this uh this hearing on Wednesday from occurring. They're going to try to get paid tens of millions of dollars in damages over everybody else walking out on the Pac-12. And I think they have potentially a compelling legal case because I'm sure there were some bylaws violated considering that these schools are still under existing contracts and in a contractual relationship together. There may have been a breach of a fiduciary duty. They may well have been uh, tortuous interfe- ir- interference with existing contracts. Uh, there may be claims against all eight schools. There may be claims against the different television networks for the decisions that they have made. Um, And if I'm Oregon State and I'm Washington State, I'm trying to get as much money and just totally bollocks up the departure in the Pac-12 situation as I can. And I think potentially, especially given where they have decided to locate the lawsuit, do you think there might be, I believe this lawsuit is in Washington, but if it's not, it's in Corvallis. I can't remember which which location. It's either Corvallis or Pullman. You think that might be a pretty good jury pool? In the event that you get in front of a jury with different claims relating to the Pac-12's dissolution? do you think there might be people in Pullman, people in Corvallis, who want to sick it to the remainder of the Pac-12 schools for kicking Oregon State and Washington State to the curb? This is, I think, a really compelling case. And if you're interested in sports law, I'd be reading every filing in this case because there's a lot of different fascinating aspects associated with it. Just put a pen in this one and pay attention to how it's going. And let me say here, uh, legal issues again, yesterday I went off on the Mel Tucker situation. Um, And I would reinforce that after I did the show Mel Tucker put out a statement, his attorneys did, and the only thing I would add to all of the arguments that I made yesterday, and I would encourage you all to go back and listen to that, Uh, again, 27 phone calls, average length of 30-plus minutes between Mel Tucker and Brenda Tracy, this woman. Uh, The night that they had the phone sex call, it went on for 36 minutes. Only information that is new... Uh, in that letter that came out is that Brenda Tracy, a couple of months after the phone sex incident, evidently texted to uh, to Mel uh, Tucker, um, happy Father's Day. And so my question, remember Brenda Tracy said, oh, I was panicked, I couldn't hang up on the phone, that's why I was like, it was non-consensual phone sex, and I'm like, how in the world does that actually happen? The other thing I would say about this is why did she send him a text message saying happy Father's Day two months after that incident if she was truly so horribly uh, traumatized by what happened on that phone call? She liked him. She thought that there might be a future for them. And when he cut it off, she decided to go scorched earth. That's the only aspect of this story. That actually lines up, and again, I would encourage you to go listen to yesterday's discussion. There are lots of cowards in sports media, just because a lot of people won't talk about this because they're afraid that they're going to end up being targets. Uh, finally, um, and 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 I do think this is uh, uh, this is important. Friday evening, the Fifth Circuit came out with a ruling. Uh, You'll remember on July 4th, a Louisiana district federal district court judge named Judge Dowdy put out a ruling which was incredible in its scope, magnitude, and importance saying, hey, the Biden administration violated the First Amendment by using big tech companies to do what the federal government itself could not have done. And basically, the easy way to understand this is The federal government can't deputize people to violate the Constitution when it otherwise could not do it, right? So the federal government cannot clearly restrict your First Amendment speech. That's what the First Amendment says. But the federal government also can't go to uh, big tech companies and coerce them to threaten your First Amendment beliefs either, Because then you're effectively deputizing uh, a uh, private company, you know, big tech company, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Google, whatever it is. They can't then use that power that they don't have and force some other company to do it. You can't basically shift uh, the, uh, the, the power to someone else. That's a violation too. That coercion is a violation itself. Fifth Circuit endorsed almost the entire ruling. And this is big because the Biden administration has now been found to have directly uh, attempted to censor political opposition. And if you truly care about the First Amendment in this country, which I do, nearly lost several jobs over saying the only two things I believe in are the First Amendment and boobs. If you truly do care The number one right that we have in this country is the First Amendment because without it, we have no other rights. If you can't speak freely what you believe in this country, then you have no other rights. It is the most sacrosanct, the most integral, the most foundational right that we have in America today and throughout history. What the Fifth Circuit has now endorsed, Judge Dowdy's opinion, is... The Biden administration has restricted the First Amendment more than any government action in virtually any of our lives. And you would think the New York Times, the Washington Post, CBS, NBC, ABC, uh, CNN, MSNBC, all of these outlets that claim to be outraged by January 6th and the threats to our democracy brought on on January 6th, would recognize that January 6th is a pinprick as important as what happened with the power that the Biden administration undertook to regulate what could and could not be said in this country during the COVID era. And that is, I believe, super integrally important uh, as we look forward. Okay, uh, I love all of you. Bap unless you need to SBAP, go read that Fifth Circuit opinion. Um, and understand that it may well be headed to the Supreme Court, and it may well be the most consequential First Amendment uh, lawsuit of, uh, of any of our lives, really. Uh, at least if you're around my age. Times v. Sullivan, early 60s. This may be the most important First Amendment case since Times v. Sullivan if the Supreme Court takes it up and decides to speak out on it. Uh, appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We'll be live tomorrow. I'm off to go watch. My seventh grader play a football game. I believe you'll see me on Jesse Waters later tonight. This has been OutKick Show.